Hello everyone, and welcome back to the penultimate episode of Knowing Wheel in 2023. Episode 152 of your favourite Formula One show. I'm joined by Lurgy183 today. He's not He's not having fun. He's, you might hear in his voice very soon, he's feeling a bit rough. Apparently... Uh, Manchester is is not the cleanest of cities. How how are we doing, my guy? <laughs> I'm uh, unable to talk that much today. Um, yeah, I feel like I could do a good voice for like a villain in a film. Right now, I, I feel okay. <coughs> That's difficult. I say that. Yeah, I'll be fine. We'll make it through. We'll we'll make it through, and of course, we'll I'll just have to edit out a lot of Jamie's coughing uh, <laughs> before this goes live. Uh, but yeah, quickly, obviously, before we dive in uh, properly, just a reminder: yeah, this is the second to last ever episode that is going live on the Mat Two and Two YouTube channel. As always, there's a link down in the description below uh, if you want to go keep you know keep checking out the podcast when the new episodes will release into the new year. We are now up to three hundred and twenty-one subscribers, uh, so we're making good gains towards Jamie183 as well as we head, you know, into the depths of the winter break. But Jamie, talking of winter, often, you know, people like to associate the winter with snow. Snow creates ice, so we're back today with another iceberg video, aren't we? What a link that was. Yes, we are. Uh, We're actually getting towards the bottom of it, so... Yeah, we've we've only got two more of these to go after today, so we really are... We're getting into some very interesting stuff now. Obviously... Prior to this point, we kind of had bits and pieces that we'd heard of and other bits that we hadn't. Uh, but now we're, we're, we really have been learning quite a lot of interesting stuff uh, as we get into today's episode. So where would you like to start, Jamie183? Well, I actually don't know that many of these. So I'll start with one that I'm very confident on, uh, which is the Massa 2012 grid penalty in the US Grand Prix. So... This is like prime title fight. I think it's second last race, isn't it, for the 2012 season? You've got second Alonso. Or third, yeah. No, it was second last, I think. Uh, yes. You had Alonso against Vettel. Alonso is fighting a pretty losing battle because Vettel's won four races on the bounce pretty recently before this. And then Abu Dhabi just swung it slightly in Alonso's favour, but he's still a few points behind. Vettel's got it on pole position. Uh, Massa qualifies seventh. And Alonso qualifies eighth. So that kind of shows you where the pace of the cars are at in 2012. Um, and then it's the first ever race at Cota, actually, isn't it? And uh, hence, as you often see at new tracks or underused tracks, the clean side of the grid, which is the uh, the odd numbers, is often a much, much better place to start than the, the other side of the grid, the even numbers. So Alonso's qualified on the wrong side of the grid. Massa's qualified ahead of him. So Ferrari being Ferrari, uh, unneedingly changed Massa's gearbox. And it, it's not even like, they didn't even really try and hide it. They were completely like, this is just to get Alonso on the right side of the grid. But I didn't even think they changed it either. <laughs> they? I think they literally just broke the seal on it, which yeah. forced a penalty. Yeah. So it was I mean... quite, quite something. Uh, but to be fair, it did work because Alonso immediately jumped to about fourth place, didn't he? I think it did work. We would imply world championship at well, the end of the year, but he ended up finishing second that race. A lot of it was down to jumping three cars off the line, which he wouldn't have done from P eight. So, yeah, no, there it, you go. It, was, it was it was probably the last time ever Ferrari did something quite strategic <laughs> in a Formula One Grand Prix. It was quite and clever. That was Eleven yeah. years ago. Yes, potentially, but Massa uh, was 
a subservient second driver at that point in his Ferrari career. So, yeah, threw away a P7 to start P12. And I thought, I think he might have got points, but not that many. So, but it doesn't really matter because it was all about the, ch- the drivers' championship at that point. Yeah, exactly. It was, it was, yeah, interesting strategy by Ferrari. You know, proper. Probably would have been one of those ones that had any other team done it, there would have been a rule put in place quite soon after to ban <laughs> it or do something about it. Not that you ever really could. Um, but Ferrari, of course, being Ferrari, got away with that one. And yeah, it did mean obviously the title fight got dragged all the way to the bitter end in Brazil. Uh, and obviously then we know about Fernando Alonso looking out into the middle distance, don't we? I'm going to take us over then, Jamie, to probably one of the wilder ones... Of because a lot of these are quite fact based now, aren't they? But mm. th- this one absolutely isn't. This is known as the Senna assassination theory. So of course we all know, uh, obviously about uh, Ant Senna's unfortunate fatal collision at the 1994 uh, San Marino Grand Prix at Imola. Obviously, we we still don't technically kind of really know what exactly happened. Well, the missing telemetry, um, isn't it? So. The missing telemetry, you know, some believe it was tyre pressures that forced the car to bottom out, and that's what obviously span out on him. Others believe, you know, there was, you know, a, another a different type of part failure on the car. We, we never, we probably never will know, will we? Um, being completely honest, considering it was almost 30 years ago now. Um, wow. But one of the wilder theories people have come out with uh, is that Senna was shot by a sniper. Uh, obviously, uh, you, you're going to Imola this year, aren't you, Jamie? I am. Yes. Uh, so I, I've great. been to Imola before, luckily, for the Grand Prix. Uh, I can tell you where where people theorised he got shot from is not an easy place to stand because it's covered in trees uh, and it's basically a very, very steep bank down to a very, very big river. Um, so had someone been there with a sniper rifle, would would have been... Quite an uneasy place to stand. And let's not forget how good of a Navy SEAL or something like that would you have had to have been <laughs> to hit a moving target going 190, 190 miles an hour yeah. through Tamborello. Yeah, while you're off balance up a tree or something, yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it, why, why do people think this is a thing? I, I guess they just don't want... I think, obviously, the big one is, of course, no one makes a mistake through Tamborello. No. Uh, and it's... Potentially, of course, you know, Senna was always known for being able to drive a car completely on the limit. How very, very rarely, obviously, did we see him, you know, overdo snap oversteer, that kind of thing? I, I don't really know. I think just people like to run wild with these kind of things. And, you know, f- you know, from Formula One side of things, if a driver had been shot during a Grand Prix, probably wouldn't be a good look no. on your sports security. No, maybe not. <laughs> but I would heavily imply that that probably is a myth. <laughs> I, I, I'm quite confidently going to say on this podcast that that, that did not happen. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think we, we can we can put a stamp on bullshit on that one, I think, Jamie. Uh, is, is probably a fair way of doing things there. Which one would you like to go into next? I want to do Foo. Uh, which... That is, a, yeah, a very, very cryptic one. That was very a funny cryptic. reminder. Um, I reckon some people might remember this. It wasn't that long ago. I think it was around 2017-18 time. Definitely Liberty Media had taken over. Um, and you had the Formula 1 app was getting launched or pushed quite a lot. So a lot of people got the app. Uh, and then it was around the time of like Lizard Squad, if you remember them, back in the day. Just hacking everything and causing mischief, basically. 
yeah, they they managed. I don't know if it's them, but somebody managed to hack into the Formula One app. Uh, but they they hacked with very good intentions because they weren't aiming to you know steal data or ruin a career's worth. Of, not that we know of. Not that we know of anyway. Uh, but what they did do was send a push notification to everyone with the app, just saying the word foo, F-O-O, <laughs> which was just, re- and it's all lowercase as well, I remember that. So it was just bizarre, um, really. And yeah, there was another notification shortly after that was like, Formula One should probably tighten their security or something along those lines. Uh, and Twitter was just in meltdown, I seem to remember. So yeah, foo. Uh, became a little bit a short-lived meme on the internet um, for like Formula One, a nickname Formula One. But yeah, sadly not. We're back to the the real thing. No more foo. And I mean, if if I remember this correctly, it was within weeks of the app being launched, wasn't it? Yeah, it wasn't long. After. It, it was it was kind of like they they you know they got the impression that they kind of bought some pretty basic software off some company that meant they could you know throw this app out in the space of a week kind of thing, and someone went, well, I've already hacked that software before, I may as well do it again, have, have a quick go, and have a bit of a laugh with it. Because, uh, yeah, like I said, obviously, I remember Twitter just being an absolute meltdown, you know. Some people, I believe, still have not reinstalled the app um, because of that, and it, it was it was not a good look uh, for no. because I believe it was around the time that the new logo got announced yeah, as well. Yeah, it was, yeah. So people weren't happy with F1 generally anyway, and then this didn't really help. It reminds, it was, reminds me of when Williams, I believe it was twenty, it must have been twenty twenty one. I remember the livery. It was the the white and yellow and blue one with the like barcode looking like thing, and they were launching that through an app. So literally yes. on the morning of the launch, they were like, "Yeah, everyone download our app. It's going to be great." And then someone downloaded it, and obviously it was the most basic software in the world. It was so. Inspect <laughs> Element, wasn't it? Yeah. You, so you, the- I think you could change the time in your phone <laughs> yeah. to get access to it early. And then all of the hype around them launching this Williams was gone. <laughs> yeah, not not as good as I can't remember if it was. It was either Red Bull or I think Fernando Alonso um, did like a promo where you could like submit fan pictures. Oh dear! Or something like that, and someone <laughs> just sent in a naked selfie. It was on his helmet or something, or like on the Red Bull car. It was one bad. or the other. <laughs> yeah, trusting the British public to do anything is an absolute exactly. Nightmare. Never, never forget Boaty McBoatface. Yeah, I think that's the always old, the prime the Team GB example. holding up the signs. That was a oh no, that was horrendous, wasn't it? Because <laughs> that, that, that. that took all of ten minutes before yeah. people destroyed that. Um, I'm going to take us back in time, Jamie, to what is we. So we were obviously having to do our research before this podcast uh, into you know a couple of these that we didn't recognise. This is going to be the wildest story in this segment: the 1959. USGP qualifying. Now, obviously, when I first looked at this, I thought, wow, did something interesting happen at Indianapolis? I, I was completely wrong. We were completely wrong, weren't we, Jamie? Yeah. Yeah. Because <laughs> this turned out to be at Sebring. Uh, fun fact for you as well, it was the last ever Grand Prix before uh, the 2019 Australian Grand Prix to give a bonus point for fastest lap. Um, but interestingly, it was a three way title fight. Heading into the weekend. Final race of the year. It was a showdown between Brabham, Sterling Moss and Tony Brooks. So all three drivers, of course, wanted to start the front of the field. And this was also back at a time as well where on this track, because it had quite a wide front straight, three cars could start on the front row. 
Now, as we got towards the end of qualifying, I believe it was Sterling Moss, Jack Brabham, and Tony Brooks. So our three championship contenders. Um, that, sorry. Uh, yeah, yeah, our three right, title yeah. contenders uh, were on the front row of the grid. Two of them in their Coopers. Uh, the other one, Tony Brooks, in his Ferrari. The GOAT. Suddenly, at the end of the session, there's been a change. Young American... Harry Shell, who I believe only really raced uh, in the US Grand Prix, you know, was kind of based over there, uh, was was mysteriously given third place on the grid next to Moss and Brabham, making it a Cooper Climax 1-2-3. Ferrari, Enzo Ferrari, of course, absolutely livid about this because it, it seemed that it had basically gone unnoticed throughout qualifying. Um, and suddenly then... So it suddenly obviously just appeared after the session. He was reinstated with this P3. Um, of course, you know, a lot of people were a bit, you know, kind of confused by this because, you know, it, it was Formula 1 back then. Times times were fairly spread out. Uh, he, he previously set a 3 minute 11 and somehow had found 6 seconds on his final qualifying lap. Um, goes to show people moan about Formula 1's lack of competitiveness now. It was a 3 minute lap time. Sterling Moss took pole by 3 seconds. So, quick Keep moaning yeah. about that, please. Stop moaning fans. about Verstappen. <laughs> Having a three-tenth pole margin or something like that. Um, but, yeah, so th- this battle raged on, you know. Enzo Ferrari absolutely livid with the result. Of course, couldn't really bring Tony Brooks out of the race. He's you know, there was a championship to be won. Um, but it actually only got found out years later um, that Harry Shell had, had found a little bit of a shortcut on the circuit. That's my guy, um, <laughs> he didn't it didn't come out till after the race, but basically what he'd done is there was an S section around the back part of the circuit, uh, and, and he managed to accidentally run off of the circuit here. Went down an escape road, um, found out that it basically was a huge shortcut. So what he did was wait a bit of time um, until there was a bit of a clearing in the traffic, uh, and just came back onto the track and saved six seconds off his lap time. Uh, unfortunately, it would be for no good. He would even finish eighth. Um, sorry, he was eighth after the first lap, so basically where he left. would have qualified yeah. anyway, uh, and retired on lap six. Yes, which is absolute wild. I kind of think why not just why not just go all in and take pole? Because I don't. I think it was a last lap mistake was kind of the thing. <laughs> but if he'd have uh, like not slowed down, get pole position, you know, win the race. Who knows? Yeah, but if you set like a two minute thirty six lap time, <laughs> someone's gonna go. Not convinced you're 24 yeah. seconds quicker than Sterling Moss. I suppose, I suppose. But that is a wild story. Um, I would like to see what the equivalent of that is in the modern day. I guess it's kind of like Perez cutting the inside of Cota about 50 times this year and getting away well, with I'm, it. Yeah, so I'm trying to think of a good... That would probably be like now taking the old turn... Uh, sorry, the old version of Silverstone, isn't it? Out of what is now turn one. If you went left down there yeah. rather than right, and then came back out onto the yeah. track after a few Piled seconds through the fan zone, yeah, <laughs> down at Abbey, yeah, it just Formula One back in the day, man, absolutely wild, yes. yeah, just and we'll stay around that time of of the life of Formula One with uh, the other quite controversial fifties moment in this, uh, Juan Manuel Manuel Fangio being kidnapped in Cuba, which is I don't actually think is that that deep on the iceberg. I feel like a lot of people know about this. What I have just found out is his experience is quite interesting. Cause, it was yeah, fantastic. It was. It's the 1958 Cuban Grand Prix, which is pre-revolution, pre-Cuban Missile Crisis, but there is 
uh, Fidel Castro and his revolutionaries are like bubbling under in Cuba. So this race is kind of the equivalent of the Western world trying to keep them on side. It feels like, which you kind of see now a little bit. Um, yeah, so you've got Fangio, who is the world champion, on his way to his... No, he has won five championships. He's not on his way to his sixth. Um, nah. But he's a year after he won his fifth title. So he is the reigning four in a row world champion. Uh, so we think he's kind like, of Formula One superstar, isn't he? Back then, yeah, yeah, yeah. This record wouldn't be beat until 2003, so yep. quite a long time after. Um, yeah, you've got Fangio coming out of his hotel on the morning of the race, uh, and he just gets completely kidnapped at gunpoint by rebels. So, yeah, and they just moved him between three different safe houses while people couldn't find him. Uh, he didn't enter the race well he did enter but he didn't start the race because he wasn't there he basically just didn't show up um, I think didn't show up is a bit well, harsh from their point of view <laughs> from their point of view he was just like laying in bed probably um, and yeah the, the media depicted his experience as being like really really bad you know he's probably blindfolded in the back of a shed somewhere being threatened all the being time just lamped over and over to yeah. give people information what actually happened was they treated him like he was one of their friends. They let him watch the race. They never blindfolded him. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, it was no great hardship. Obviously, it wasn't pleasant because he's still been kidnapped. But he was treated very well. Um, so, yeah, a shame he couldn't enter the race. But he did say that if what the Rebels did was in good cause, then I, as an Argentine, accept it. So, <laughs> there you go. Maybe that's why they were so nice to him, because he was on their side, kind of. But... Well, I yeah. think he was just he was willing to cooperate, wasn't he? Yeah. He, he, I think he kind of understood where they were coming from, treated them with respect, and, and they returned it in kind. That's a top, yeah, is... top tip. If you ever get kidnapped by rebels, just be kind. Exactly. Pretend you're on their team. <laughs> yes. Wise words from Jamie183 there, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Um, let's, let, let's take a little bit of a dark turn, Jamie. We, we've gone from rebels that were quite nice... Um, this one we thought, looking at it originally, we were like, oh, 1975, Spanish Grand Prix. What was what was particularly exciting about that? Uh, just just a bit of a pre-warning. This one's this one's pretty dark. Um, you know, we're, we're deep in, under the watery depths now of the iceberg. Um, this one, quite dramatic, but, but it does come with a couple of interesting statistics with it. So, it's 1975. It's the Spanish Grand Prix in Barcelona around a very, very interesting little street circuit, which I'm not even going to try and pronounce. Uh, 75 laps worth of Grand Prix action is meant to be taking place, Jamie. Uh, Unfortunately, we only get 29 of which. Nicky Lauda had taken pole position on Saturday. It was a Ferrari front-row lockout ahead of James Hunt uh, and Mario Andretti. Fun fact about the 1975 Formula 1 season... Every team, with the exception of Ferrari, was using Ford DFV engines. That's a little statistic for you as well there. But, um, yeah, when we have a look kind of at the at the race, we, Jamie and I kind of mentioned this pre-show as well. It feels like if you Wikipedia any Formula 1 race prior to about 1990, um, there's pretty much always a line saying, laps later, tragedy struck. Uh, And and that's exactly what happened here. Um, First corner madness ceased. Uh, James Hunt was shown as the leader uh, because Lauda uh, had tangled... um, 
with Mario Andretti and Vittorio Brambia. That is a Formula One name if ever I've heard one. Oh, yeah. Uh, sending him into Clay Regazzoni. So both Ferraris uh, were basically out. Regazzoni was allowed to go back out to the track. Um, but yeah, it was way down the order. Patrick Depay retired on the first lap because of suspension damage. And Wilson Fittipaldi and Arturo Merzario withdrew in protest. In protest um, of what? <laughs> in protest crash. of... Ah, oh, there were the, some strikes the going on. GDPA. Guarda Civil would seize the cars, which <laughs> where the paddock was at the Montreux Stadium, forced the drivers to call off the strike. Okay. So, uh, yeah. so it was about, it was about track safety. The barriers weren't bolted together properly. GDPA no. drivers didn't do practice, apart from Jackie nope. X, because he wasn't a yeah. member of GDPA. <laughs> exactly. So he, he knew where he was going. Unfortunately, it didn't mean he got pole either. Um, so, yeah, James Hunt took the lead of the race. Uh, shockingly, Andretti had managed to keep going. He was running in second with John Watson... Ahead uh, of Rolf Stommelen. Uh, Jody Schechter then had a tyre failure on lap four in his Tyrrell, uh, which caused oil to be dumped onto the circuit, which meant Alan Jones and Mark Donahue would also have a crash. Uh, Hunt would also then slip on the oil and crash as well. Um, so it would then mean that Mario Andretti was leading the race. On lap 24, Ronnie Peterson had a tangle with Francois Mingol. While trying to lap the Frenchman as well. Um, but yeah, th- this is where things get rather dark. Um, the rear wing on Stommelens in Bassy Hill, Embassy Hill, sorry, um, <laughs> broke, sending him into the barrier, ironically, at the point that his own mechanics had worked on. So he, he hit the barrier that his own team had tried to fix. Um, he banked off it and banked to the road, hitting the barrier across the way and flying over it while trying to avoid Stommelen as he crossed the track. Pache crashed. Four people were unfortunately killed by Stommelen's flying car, uh, including a fireman, a spectator, and two photojournalists, with Stommelen himself suffering a broken leg, a broken wrist, uh, and two cracked ribs. Staggeringly, despite that, uh, the race would only get called off four laps later, uh, in, during which time Jochen Mass had passed Jackie X. Uh, and therefore had won the race. Uh, and interesting little fact, despite all of the rather morbid information there, uh, Lele Lombardi would be the only would become the only female Formula One driver to ever score a point by finishing sixth. Uh, but because the race stopped before sixty percent of race distance, only half points were awarded. So Lele Lombardi there picking up half a point for I don't know who she was driving for. For March. My head. It was for March, yes. of course. Of course, um, we knew that. <laughs> but yeah, a very very dark weekend on Formula yeah, One, which, we didn't which sadly back break. then it was it was not not uncommon. No, no, I just realised I don't know any more. So there's two left, and sadly I haven't. <laughs> do you not reason. know about the Ferrari barge board no, in Malaysia? No, you can do that one. I, I no, I'll do the two or nineteen eighty four qualification then. I, I thought you'd done the Ferrari one too. I thought we reset. timed this quite well. <laughs> So, 1984, ladies and gentlemen. Tyrrell, they're, they're in a bit of trouble. People, people have started bringing all of these turbo cars to Formula 1. And, and Tyrrell, bless their hearts, they, they weren't quite the team they have been during the sort of the 60s and 70s. They, they, were, they were starting to struggle. Um, and in 1982, we'd seen Brabham and Williams um, had developed a, a nice little feature known as water-cooled brakes, of course, which was fantastic <coughs> um, for, you know, optimising braking performance over the course of a race because brakes tend to get warm. Uh, and they were they were really starting to struggle, obviously, you know, especially with all these cars with ridiculous power numbers. You, you were using the brakes quite a lot. 
Um, the car officially would start the race with a large, f- full water tank, uh, and then the water was released in the general direction of the brakes, uh, which which allowed the car to run under weight when on the track and unable, obviously, because it was still racing, it then wouldn't get weighed. What they would then do towards the end of the race is that they would then, obviously, on their final pit stop, fill the water tanks again. Uh, so, obviously, then, obviously, when the race finished, the car was back up to weight, effectively making the car, I believe, they were about 40 <coughs> or 50 kilos lighter. Uh, throughout a lot of the race, which obviously, you know, when, you, when you're up against a power advantage for most of the other teams, uh, was quite difficult. By 1984, Tyrrell was the only non-turbocharged car now on the grid. Um, so they, they basically tried the same thing as BMW and Brabham had done a couple of years earlier. Um, the FIA had obviously made a provision to reduce the fuel allowance for each race, uh, which which basically meant that, again, obviously, because turbos were very, very economical on fuel, it's why most cars nowadays have got a turbo, uh, Brabham, Brabham were really screwed, uh, to be honest. Um, so what they did uh, was, that, was they tried to, obviously, um, <coughs> run, put, put water back into the car, uh, except for they, they weren't just putting water into it. What they'd actually do is put lead shot into the tanks. So rather than running the car sort of, 40, 50 kilos lighter. Uh, it was two gallons of water and 140 pounds of lead shot. So about 80 nice. kilos altogether uh, in the end. Um, after the Detroit Grand Prix, Martin Brundle finished second for Tyrrell. Um, the top cars were as usual impounded for inspection for compliance with the rules. Following this, it was alleged that the water was in fact 27.5% aromatics and constituted an additional fuel source. So Tyrrell were thus charged with taking on additional fuel during the race, which was illegal, use of illegal fuel, which was illegal, uh, equipping the car with illegal fuel lines because they had a water tank to the water injection system, and using ballast that was incorrectly fixed to the car, uh, obviously being that. So Tyrrell were excluded from the 1984 championship and were retroactively disqualified from all races that year, um, which I believe is the only time in Formula 1 history uh, a team has not only been disqualified from the championship, but also every, but also race. every single race they'd already done. Had they won up any to races? that point? Uh, no, they come second was their best result that year. Yeah. You wouldn't want to be the guy who put it to the podium, like six months later. Yeah, I wouldn't be too bothered. Uh, they, they were then trophy. also they were banned then from the last three races as well, and further fined by FISA. For their inability to... So they got banned from the last three races and then got fired <laughs> for not showing up to said races. <laughs> that is very harsh. Well, that is very harsh. I bet Tyrrell weren't too pleased about that. They they were very not happy. And it kind of was really the big nail in the coffin that led to their ultimate downfall, which was dragged on until the mid-90s. Yes. Uh, Ferrari Bargeboards, the final one of this week. Uh, it feels like we've flown by. I guess there's fewer and fewer things. There's, there's less of them on each one, I've noticed. <laughs> yes. So, uh, Ferrari Bargeboard in Malaysia. This is, for some context, 1999. The year before Matt and I entered the Earth. Uh, <laughs> Just one way of describing it. There you go. Um, you've got... Michael Schumacher in the Ferrari, who's just come back from a broken leg for, I think, five or six races. So he's out of the championship fight, but you've got his teammate, Eddie Irvine, versus Mika Hakkinen in the uh, in the McLaren, going for his second world championship. And Irvine, obviously, 
never won anything because he's not actually very good. Uh, but I almost won that title before Schumacher did for Ferrari. <laughs> that would have been awful. I'm kind of glad it didn't now. Um, I think it was scripted by Ferrari, really, to be honest. Really? Well, this might debunk that myth a little bit. Because oh, here we go. Here October we go. 1999. So you've got one race to go after this. Uh, you've got Mika Hakkinen two points ahead of Eddie Irvine back in the day when 10 points for a win, eight for a second, that kind of thing. It was six? No, six for a Six back it, then, yeah. Um, yeah, Michael Schumacher's first race back, and he takes pole by almost a second. Uh, because he is the best driver of this season and would have won the championship if if he hadn't broken his leg. Uh, <laughs> so in the race, uh, Schumacher dutifully gave Irvine the victory. Uh, Hakkinen finished third, which swung the championship in Irvine's favour via four points. So Irvine led the championship 70-66. to 66. Uh, Ferrari were out for dinner, celebrating a 1-2 finish and the championship lead. Uh, when the FIA called and said, you're disqualified. And the reason for the disqualification was some barge boards at the plate, at the, uh, on the side of the car, where barge boards tend to be, um, <laughs> were a centimetre too short to comply with scrutineering. So they, both cars had failed this test, and it was uh, it handed Mikakinen the World Championship, because obviously the uh, two-point gap became an eight-point gap, and that's more than a race win back then. So it was a bit of a damp squib because you've got one race left and they've just handed Hacken in the title in post. It's probably worse than winning it on a sprint race, I would say. Um, and yeah, Ross Braun is, is pretty fuming, the Ferrari boss. He's like, he didn't really try and fight it. He was like, well, screw steering, screw steering. If the, if the barge balls are too short, they're too short. So yeah, there's no getting out of it. And that was kind of that. Then a few days later, Ferrari appealed it. Uh, and five days later in Paris, the barge boards that were found to be illegal in Malaysia were found to be legal because the uh, the scrutineering at the track had thought they were one centimetre too, uh, too short. It turns out they're actually only half a centimetre too short. And apparently, despite this being a technical directive, so there's no... In every other technical directive, there's never any leeway. You're either illegal... Or you're legal. There's no. Uh, it's there's pretty no black buffer. and white, isn't yes. it? Yeah. Like the the Mercedes rear wing a couple of years ago was a few millimeters too too wide on the gap, wasn't it? And that was a, that was disqualified from qualifying. So, uh, but now the FIA have just made up that you can have a half centimeter buffer, which means the Ferraris were not found to be illegal, had their positions reinstated, and went into Japan with the championship lead with Eddie Irvine. Um, now this is like peak Ferrari international assistance I think so it's kind of typical that this sort of thing would happen it happened almost every week it felt like Um, and yeah any other team but Ferrari and they'd probably just keep them disqualified well, what I, what my favourite bit I love about this was, of course, you know, they, the, the FIA had insisted that it was a measuring system was at fault and admitted that the regulation was not clear enough. Uh, so we said, oh, no, Ferrari are fine. What, what often gets forgotten about this, Ferrari was still told to change their barge board, barge boards yeah. and still showed up to Suzuka with longer barge boards. So, of course, David Goulthard just goes... I come it's therefore illegal if they've had to change it. I thought it was apparently legal if they've had to change it anyway. 
I mean, it was peak FIA, wasn't it? Ferrari International Assistant. Mm. Um, of course, helped then. I I can't remember actually off the top of my head. Did Ferrari? What was the gap in the constructors by the end of the year? Oh, I don't know. I think I Ferrari think won it, didn't they? Ferrari did win it, but by how much? I'm just having a quick look now. Because um, those 16 points could have been really useful. Come the end, yeah, they won it by four points. Oh yeah. Oh, McLaren in the end after three mechanical, well, three retirements in a row at the end of the year um, for, for David Coulthard. So it really did make a big swing um, at the end of the season. Uh, shout outs to Jules as well. Hang on. Up in P3. Schumacher finished second in Japan with Irvine yes. third. Yes. If they'd have swapped them over. Yes. Would Irvine have won the title? Uh, he had one, two, three, four wins. Mika had one, two, three, four, five wins because of Japan. Okay. He also beat him by one minute 30, so it would have been quite a long time to wait. <laughs> It would have been quite a long time to wait, um, but of course, you know, had something happened um, to Hakkinen towards the end of the race. Because let's be fair, this was 1999. <laughs> Mick Hakkinen had a tendency to throw the car off the road when leading as well. Mm. Um, both at Imola, San Marino, and at Monza that year, I yeah, believe. And he still won a title. Worst championship title. campaign ever. Mika Hakkinen is a very, very bizarre case in Formula 1 that I'd love to do a proper deep yeah. dive on. In the future, shout out as well to Mika Salo, uh, two yeah. podiums in that Ferrari. Yeah, did well. well. Did, did really well. well that year. He should have um, won in Germany, but he handed it to Irvine, didn't he? He did. So he did. Two out of four of Irvine's wins were given to him. And Michael Schumacher just beat out Ralph Schumacher that year. Heinz Harald Frentzen was the best German of nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, and tied at Hereth. Oh, and no, that was ninety seven, wasn't it? That was ninety seven, Jamie. Never yes. mind. <laughs> Hereth was long on my ninety nine. <laughs> There we go, though. That is, what's that, part five of the Formula One iceberg. Of course, next weekend, Jamie and I will be doing our big F1 2023 quiz. Um, so that that's always a, a lot of fun as well, obviously, an interactive quiz uh, that you guys can join in on as well. Um, quick little bits of news, though, haven't we, Jamie? We've got a couple of bits and pieces. Ferrari have announced their 2024 car reveal date. They have. Going live February 13th next year. Uh, what, what are our thoughts and feelings? Well, it's a date, isn't it? So It's a date. It's before. It's Shrove Tuesday, I believe. So you're going to be eating pancakes. Wow. On the podcast, maybe. Who knows? Do it. <laughs> eat podcasts. Eat, eat podcasts podcast? on the pancakes. Wow. Eat pancakes on the podcast. Maybe. Do it, we'll, sir. We'll Do see. it, sir. Also, we'll put it through as a business expense. Alfa Romeo have now got a new name. Yeah, uh, it's the worst name in recent history. It is the what? It's uh, something kicks Alba, isn't it? What it's is it? s- it's steak s- formula Sauber kick no, racing. It's, it's steak F one team kicks Sauber. It's so bad. I wouldn't have even mind steak Sauber F one yeah. racing or Formula One team or something like that, but it's not. And of course, we've got raging bulls or not raging bulls Alpha Tauri still, haven't we? So we don't quite know what they're doing with that. Yeah. Well, it's Alpha Tauri, Scuderia, RB. So. Very, very cryptic and mysterious as well. I'm just having a look, sorry, at the 1999 season. Mika Hakkinen took pole in all but five races that year. Matt McLaren was on rails over mm. one lap. Heinz Harald Frentzen won the Italian Grand Prix as well. Yeah, it was waffling that's at this point. We should. That's a, that a fun <laughs> fact for you. I've just, just found out. Um, anything else to add though, Jamie? 
anything else to add? Bear in mind, this might be the second to last time you ever appear on the Matt Two and Two YouTube channel. Oh, it definitely won't be. I always work my way back in. You you always <laughs> find a find a way, don't you, to get yourself back in the limelight? Yeah, I don't really want to say much more because I might just start coughing up my lungs again. Cough so. up a lung, yeah. We'll, 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 we'll end it there then. Thank you all so much as always for listening. If you have enjoyed, please do make sure to leave a like. Get yourself subscribed uh, to, to the Knowing Wheel channel. One more podcast, Jamie, on the main channel. We, we, we This has been like six months in the planning, hasn't it? Yeah. And I don't think either of us ever thought this day would come, um, but we are we are nearing the end, but, but not really. Thank you all as always so much for listening, and we'll be back very, very soon.